Let's turn to 1 John chapter 4. 1 John chapter 4. There's a song we used to sing in the early days of Calvary Chapel uh, that was taken from verses 7 and 8. So, I thought it'd be fun. It's just a little quick chorus. Just for fun. Just got to plug my acoustic in here. It's very short. I'm just repeat it a couple times, I guess. It's from the King James Version. There's an echo. I don't know. The ladies could do that. but Beloved, let us love one another. Love one another. Lovers of God. Everybody loveth is born of God and knoweth God. He that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. God is love. Love it. Let us love one another. First John 4, 7 and 8. Beloved, let us love one another. Love one another. Lovers of God. Everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. He that loveth not knoweth not God. You're supposed to clap there. God is love. God is love. Beloved, let us love one another. First John 4, 7 and 8. That's it. So, just a fun little chorus we used to sing. Scripture songs are great because it helps you memorize Scripture. Okay. And we are getting into this section today. The message is entitled, Love is Sacrifice. Let's read verses 7 through 10. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. In this the love of God would manifested toward us that God has sent His only begotten Son into the world that we might live through Him. In this is love. We sang that song, this is love. Not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Let's pray. Father God, this is a great passage. Of course, every single word in Your Word is awesome, it's important. But Lord, this is a great passage to just get us back into that frame of mind regarding agape love, what it means, what it's all about, and how we can tap into it. So we ask you to bless this study. Lord, draw us to yourself this morning, we pray. And Lord, help us to learn how to love like Jesus loves. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So again, we see John using this word beloved, agapatoi. It's a form of agape. It means beloved ones. And John uses this phrase six times in his first epistle. So he's appealing to his readers as those who are truly and genuinely loved by him and more importantly by God himself. Beloved. Beloved ones. Let us love one another. And yes, the word here is agape, the highest form of love, unconditional love, the kind of love that God 
displayed towards us when he sent his son Jesus Christ to die on the cross for our sins. He's saying, hey, come on, guys, beloved ones, my beloved brothers and sisters in Christ, we really need to do this. Let us love one another. This is our highest calling in Christ. We, sometimes I think we forget that. And we think about other things that are also important. You know, feeding, helping the poor, helping the homeless, feeding the poor, doing good works in the name of Christ, building churches, you know, having all kinds of programs. But really the highest calling that we have in Christ is to love one another. John 13, 34, Jesus says, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. Now, to love is not a new command. Jesus said, I'm giving you a new commandment. What is the significance here? In Leviticus 19, 18, in the Old Testament, it says we're to love our neighbor as ourself, but Jesus takes it to the next level. He says, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another, a semicolon, as I have loved you that you also love one another. And so, how has Christ loved us? Sacrificially. To love sacrificially as Christ did. Laying down our lives for one another. Not necessarily dying physically, although sometimes that might be the case. But laying down our lives means dying to self. Jesus said, if you want to be my disciple, you've got to take up your cross and follow me. Jesus' cross, we, th we celebrated communion this morning, and we think of his suffering but the cross of Christ, in actuality, was the cross of self-denial. Remember what he prayed in the garden? We sang that in this last song. It was for me in the garden. He prayed, not my will, but thine. Self-sacrifice, denying himself, he took up his cross, and we're called to do the same. So that's why it's a new commandment, because it goes beyond just Loving your neighbor as yourself, it goes to the next level, to a sacrificial love, which says laying down your life for your brothers and sisters in Christ, whatever that might mean in any particular application or situation. It might mean giving up something that you were looking forward to doing in order to go help someone. It might mean going out of your way to pick someone up for church. It, it could mean many different things. It might mean giving someone some money that you had set aside for something fun that you want to take a vacation, whatever it might be. New carpet in the bedroom. Self-sacrifice. Let us love one another for love is of God or as it says in one translation, love comes from God. It emanates from Him. That's why to really know and to experience and to understand and live love at the deepest level, you've got to know God. Otherwise, you just can't get there. Two qualities in particular characterize us as being of or from God. One we've spent a lot of time on already in this book of 1 John, and that is the first characteristic or quality is that would indicate we are truly of or from God. We love the truth. We spent a lot of time on that in this study. It's not good enough to simply like the truth. God calls upon us to love it because ultimately Jesus is the truth. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. John 14, 6. So to love the truth is to love Jesus. 
And to love the truth is to mean uh, loving the truth is never being offended by the truth. And by the way, even as love ultimately emanates from God, all truth emanates from God. You heard me say this last week, I think, where some people will tell you, well, yeah, I believe the Bible is all true, but not all truth is in the Bible. Hogwash. All truth is in the Bible. And if it ain't in the Bible, it probably ain't true. So the first quality or characteristic that truly indicates we are from God, of God, is we love the truth. And again, to love the truth is to love God. Secondly, we love one another. And so again, even as it's not good enough to simply like the truth, you've got to love the truth. It's not good enough just to like your brothers and sisters in Christ. In fact, as we probably all know here this morning, it's a lot easier sometimes to love them than to like them. <laughs> and it's also more important to love them than to like them. But once we really learn how to love agape one another, liking each other becomes a lot easier. You see? Right? Matthew 22, 36 through 40. Teacher, guy's talking to Jesus, of course. Which is the great commandment in the law? Jesus said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. Again, loving the truth, because God is truth. Jesus is the truth. That's the first and greatest commandment. And the second, Jesus says, is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. Now, even in today's world, this has been a problem throughout the history of the church. Some people are hung up on the law. You know, you've got to keep this law, you've got to keep that law. Now, obviously, they're all important, the Ten Commandments. They're just as applicable today as they ever were. But Jesus says, loving God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and loving your neighbor as yourself is the fulfillment of the law. Jesus said, I didn't come to abolish the law, I came to fulfill it. How did he fulfill it? By dying on the cross for our sins. So now we're saved by grace through faith, not of works. We're saved by grace, God's unmerited, undeserved favor. You can't be saved by keeping the law. Jesus is the fulfillment of the law. You are saved by acknowledging Him, receiving Him, accepting Him as your Lord and Savior. There were Judaizers following Paul around in the early days of the church trying to convince all these Gentile believers that they couldn't be saved unless they followed the law. That happened in the Galatian church, and Paul chastised the Galatians. He said, oh, you foolish Galatians. Who has so quickly bewitched you? Having begun in the Spirit, you're now trying to complete it in the flesh. We don't do good works to be saved. We do good works because we are saved. Love is the fulfillment of the law, agape love. Because when we're truly loving one another with agape, thou shalt not murder. You're not going to murder someone if you're walking in agape love, are you? Thou shalt not steal. You're not going to steal from someone if you're walking in agape love. So rather than focusing on trying to follow all the right rules, we focus on Jesus. 
and we seek daily to be filled with His love, and then that love will manifest itself in every area of our lives, and we don't have to worry about the law anymore because Jesus is the fulfillment. He is the Sabbath. He is our rest. We go on here in verse 7 where John says, Everyone who loves agape is born of God. Now, many people may exhibit a loving attitude to one degree or another. In fact, some people are very good at faking it. Some people are very good at exuding phony, fake love, and it looks really good on the outside. And there are various Greek words. Phileo is brotherly love, warm, tender feelings of affection. Eros is that carnal, sensual love that's all around us everywhere, every day. Storge, love between family members. And again, sadly, some families are more loving than others. But only born-again believers can love as God loves, agape. So eros, again, the sexual love. That word is not even used in the Christian Greek scriptures, the New Testament. Storge, love between family members. Philia, or phileo, love between friends. And then agape, which is defined as principled love. And the principle is unconditional love, loving without expecting anything in return. Everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. And I think we all know here this morning, it's not enough to simply know about God. We must know Him. And in the King James Version of the Bible, when it speaks of someone knowing someone, it's talking about the most intimate of all human relationships, but then knowing God is also an intimate relationship, to be joined to Him. In fact, Paul teaches us in the book of Ephesians that the marriage relationship is simply a reflection or a mirror image of our relationship with God. And so that's why... Keeping a whole, happy, healthy marriage is so important because that reflects our relationship with God. And that's why Satan has attacked marriage, perhaps like no other institution on the planet. Defiled it, disgraced it, debased it, destroyed it. Because when you do that, the whole mirror image, the picture of the intimacy that we're to have with God is destroyed. That's why the Bible says God hates divorce. Now, does God forgive it? Absolutely. There's not any sin that we can commit that God can't forgive. No sin that He's not willing to forgive. The blood of Christ is sufficient to wash us and cleanse us from every sin. But the, the point here is we have to acknowledge that it's sin, you see. We should never be embarrassed or ashamed. I'm, I know that's challenging sometimes depending on what you might have gotten into at some point in your life. But you should never be embarrassed or ashamed. Thank God that He has exposed that sin, that He's revealed it to you so you can confess it and come into right relationship with Him. If you think it's embarrassing to admit your sin, it's nothing compared to how embarrassed you will be when you stand before God and you've not confessed your sins and you've not received Jesus Christ and you are asked to go someplace else. That will be the ultimate humiliation and it will be the ultimate torment more horrible than anyone could ever imagine. 
Don't be embarrassed or ashamed. The Bible says all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. There's none righteous. No, not one. When you admit that you're a sinner, that's not, you're no different than anybody else. And by the way, we know this too, that Jesus said, if you think it, you've done it. So anybody that tries to get on their high horse and say, well, I've never done that. I'm not as bad as that person. Well, that's just a lie. We're all the same. We're all the same. And that's what makes God's love so amazing is in spite of that, he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for our sins. Again, many people know about him, but only his dear children, his beloved ones, know him. It's like that old song, to know, know, know him is to love, love, love him. Remember that one? You oldies like me. You oldie moldies. And I do, and I do, and I do. To know Him is to love Him. And if we don't know Him, this is a harsh reality. He doesn't know us. He knows who you are, believe me. But if you don't know Him, He doesn't know you. There's not that intimate connection. And if He doesn't know us, folks, then all is lost. You know that, right? There's nothing more important in this life than getting to know Him. Another song. Getting to know all about Him. John 10, 14, Jesus says, I'm the good shepherd, and I know my sheep. See, anybody can go around saying, you know, they're a believer, they're a Christian, they're a follower of Christ, a believer in God. But Jesus knows His sheep. He says, and am known by my own. So there again, it's that knowing, that intimate, personal relationship. It's sad that so many people think Christianity is just a religion, just another religion, one of many, one of many different belief systems from which to choose. But it's the only belief system that enables a person to enter into a personal, vibrant, living, everlasting relationship with the God of creation. There is no other. All the others are simply that. They are religion. Religion has been defined as man's effort to reach God, which will always fall short. Remember a guy named uh, Nimrod, the Tower of Babel, trying to reach up to the heavens? God said, I don't think so. Man's efforts will always come short. Christianity is God's effort and attempt to reach down to mankind. And for all who reach out and take hold of his hand, there is everlasting life. Agape love, folks, is the primary identifier of true believers. John 13, 35, By this, Jesus says, All will know that you're my disciples if you have love for one another. All men will know. By this, all will know that you're my disciples. If you have agape, phileo is good, it's not good enough. Storge is good, love for family. But Jesus and John are talking about agape. If we walk in agape, it means it's a lifestyle. It's not something we just do on Sunday mornings. How are you, man? God bless you, brother. Praise the Lord. 
get all our little Christianese out, you know. Then you're driving home. Man, I can't believe that so-and-so. What an idiot. I don't know if I want to keep going to this church if he's there. You know, or the, the wife, you know, the, how, how women can get sometimes. Excuse me. <laughs> Folks, I'm just speaking the truth. Men and women, we all have our flaws. And um, in spite of the modern move to eradicate gender, vive la différence. I was showing the folks before the service this morning a picture of our newest grandson, Easton, Easton Walker Urquidez. And uh, he was born just this past week. Numero ocho in the grandchildren department. And my wife says, he looks like such a boy. And I said, praise God. It's sad to think we're living in a world where that could be a problem. And God forbid anybody should ever tell them, well, you're, maybe you're not really a boy. Why do you think people are so messed up today? Huh? The inmates are running the asylum, folks. And the only answer is Jesus Christ. Amen. I gotta try to restrain myself. <laughs> Don't. <laughs> if we walk in agape, not only do we know God, that proves that we know Him, and He knows us, but all men will know that we know God and He knows us. So, no wonder the witness and testimony, particularly of the Western church, is so weak. You know, what, you know what the church is so well known for by people from the outside? Infighting, division, grumbling, backbiting, hypocrisy. That's what the modern Western church is known for by people outside the church. The Jesus movement of the 70s, that was a generation, I was part of it, what was, the, what was the byline? Love, peace, right? Flower power. That generation was desperate for a genuine expression of love. And literally millions of young people found out that that love could be found in Jesus Christ. There's that old song, looking for love in all the wrong places. Well, God got a hold of the hearts and minds of millions of young people who ultimately found love in the right place. Things are drawing to a conclusion. We are indeed in the last days. And Jesus said because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most would grow cold. And that's what's happening today, both inside the church and outside the church. Everybody's so consumed with having to be right all the time. Now, if you want to be right all the time, Stick with the truth of God's Word. But the problem is, so many times it's not about the truth of God's Word. It's about your feelings, your opinions, your emotions. And that's why there's so much strife in the church. 
And there's a whole new phenomenon. I talked about it a little bit last week, and I'm sure I'm going to make people mad and offend people and all that, and that's nothing new. Now, the early days of Calvary Chapel in Costa Mesa, California, that, that move of love, the love of God, transforming lives, changing lives, getting young people instantly off of drugs, off of alcohol, off of illicit sexual activity. It's called deliverance. Set free. And the result was that church exploded. Thousands upon thousands of people, not just young people, people of all ages. That old, I think I played you the song before by Chuck Girard, Little Country Church. Because Calvary Chapel was, when I started going, it was a small chapel. Didn't stay that way very long. Long hairs, short hairs, some coats and ties, people finally coming around, looking past the hair, which long hair was a big issue in those days. Now there's only a few of us old weirdo hippies that have it. It was a big issue for the adults, all these long-haired hippies coming in, looking past the hair and straight into the eyes were the lyrics. People finally coming around. Little country church on the edge of town. And it exploded. And it became a mega church. But in the wake of that, as the years went by, people would go down to, to Pastor Chuck in Costa Mesa for different Christian magazines, publications, even secular Time magazine. And they were blown away by what was happening. What, what is going on here? And they would ask Chuck, well, what, what was your game plan? What did you do to make this happen? Nothing. I just taught the word. This is a work of the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God. But then uh, this whole movement began to develop, which was called the Church Growth Movement. It came out of Fuller Seminary in Southern California and other places where rather than just doing what God called us to do and just see what happens, let God do what He wants to do, they began to develop these plans and programs on how to make it happen. Not just letting God do it, but how can we make it happen? What, what, what kind of a plan can we come up to ensure that we get a big church, the church growth movement. And then also came along the whole Rick Warren, Saddleback Church, purpose-driven movement. And now they even have what they call, I think get the church in a box or something like that. Where you're, say you're a, you're a young guy and you're going to go plant a new church. You can actually order a complete package of everything you need, sound system, blah, 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 blah. And you can go up and open up the box and you've got instant church. Uh, there are churches in our town that started that way. And they had a game plan, a specific game plan. We want to have this many people by such and such a time. And so you have this whole now mega church movement. And then people look at that and they say, wow, those are the ones that God is really blessing. These big mega churches. They've got all the people, all the money, all the programs. Obviously, this is where God is working. But see, the thing about it is, I've never found in the New Testament the body of Christ ever referred to as a herd. We're a flock. We're a flock. The people of God's pasture, right? And the thing about it is, when you're in one of the... Now, if it's a work of God, praise God. There are some huge churches that are obviously a work of God. That's fantastic. The biggest challenge, and especially if it wasn't a work of God, it was a work of the flesh because of certain methodologies. 
and certain strategies and game plans. They have demographics. They study an area, find out what the median age is, the median income level, all these different studies they do. And then they go in a very specific place because that's where they think they can get the maximum response. But if the, if the highest calling for the church is that we're to agape one another, the bigger the church, the harder it is to do that. Again, if God makes it big, praise the Lord. And if God makes it big and the leadership is listening to God, no matter how big it gets, they will still be able to keep that agape love flowing. But the highest priority for the church is not numbers, folks. It's loving one another. Uh, isn't that what we're reading here in the Bible? So do we listen to Fuller Seminary and... I um, can't remember the guy's name now. We listen to these church growth people and how they say we're supposed to do it or do we listen to the Word of God? From what we're reading here, if you don't know God, you don't know love. You can't agape. You can't experience agape. You can't share agape. You don't know God. And that's another part of this movement. If the primary focus is to get as many people as possible and keep them, then oftentimes you're sacrificing the deep spiritual truths of God's Word. You're sacrificing that high calling. I, did any of you guys watch the Democratic presidential debates? Ha <laughs> ha. There's a lady I'd never heard of before, Marion Williamson. She is a wigged out, flipped out, new age weirdo. And she got her start, by the way, from reading a book. I think it was published, I forget if it's the 70s or 80s. I was just vaguely aware of it and never paid much attention. It's called The Course in Miracles. Have you heard of that? It's probably been talked about on Oprah Winfrey. Well, guess what? We've done a lot of talking here about a book called Jesus Calling and how supposedly it was literally Jesus speaking to Sarah Young. She was inspired by a book written in the 30s in Great Britain by two women who also claimed that Jesus spoke to them. They practiced automatic writing. That's where you sit down with a pencil and you let some spirit write through you. It wasn't... Spirit of God, by the way. So Sarah Young reads this book. She says, this is amazing. Wow, I want to do that. So she sits down and asks Jesus to start speaking through her. Well, Jesus speaks to us, yes, by his spirit, through his word, but there is no more inspired scripture, folks. And without really coming out and saying it, that's really the claim of Jesus' calling, is that this is inspired. John of Olio. Uh, one Tuesday night, I go into men's prayer, and I had just learned about this book, Jesus Calling. By the way, we're blackballed by one of our fellow churches because we had a conference called The Age of Deception where one of the speakers got up and told everybody where they could find a copy of Jesus Calling at a certain local bookstore. I didn't tell them to do that, but I sure got the blame for it. I'll take it. I'm a big boy. I can handle it. But I came into Tuesday Night Men's Prayer and I said to John Avolio, or no, to the whole group actually, 
man, guys, I can't believe this. I feel kind of stupid, really. I didn't have even heard of the book. And it turns out it was the worldwide bestseller in the Christian world, this book, Jesus Calling. And I began to warn the guys about this book, and John goes, Oy vey. Not literally, but kind of like that. Oy vey. I have the book. My wife gave it to me. The woman you gave me. <laughs> My wife gave it to me. And I think you said you'd given out six copies yourself, right? And John says, man, now that you're telling me this, Pastor, I realize since I started reading Jesus Calling, I haven't even picked up my Bible. Ooh, it's so titillating. It's so new and different and exciting. Why would you want to read the old, dusty Bible when you have brand new revelation from God through Sarah Young? By the way, ladies, no offense and no disrespect, but not one book of the Bible was written by a woman. Doesn't mean God doesn't like you. Doesn't mean you're not just as smart as we are. It's a lot of times you're smarter. And you would probably say most of the time. <laughs> Peter says that we're both, men and women, vessels of the Holy Spirit. There's neither male nor female. All are one in Christ. But for whatever reason, it's God's business, not ours. He wrote his book through men. Which today, I mean, no wonder the Bible's so unpopular, right? Because men are bad. Men are evil. Men are stupid. Blah, 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 blah. Anyway. New revelation, supposedly, from God. So now here's this other thing that preceded Sarah Young. And once again, I feel stupid. I wasn't really up to speed on it. The course in miracles. So, along with the plethora of weird people running for president now, you might think Trump's weird, but in actuality, he's probably the least weird of the whole bunch for what that's worth. She gets up in this debate, and she's telling President Trump, you're um, using hate. I can't remember the exact wording, but you know, you're controlling things with hate. You're move, moving your agenda forward with hate. But you know what Trump's hate? Love. And all the time she's got this demonic look on her face. She doesn't look very loving to me. Did any of you see it? She was freaky looking, man. She's into crystals, the whole enchilada, you know. All the new age stuff. Course and miracles. Now she's running for president. She goes, but I'm going to come at you with love. And she didn't look loving at all. <laughs> she looked like somebody else I know that wanders true and fro about the earth seeking whom he may devour. Honestly. Look her up. She's probably on YouTube. Marion Williamson. And love conquers hate. And so we're going to defeat you, President Trump, with love. You know what? That kind of love, I don't want nothing to do with. Very interesting. That's the kind of love being manifest on the streets of America today where we love so much that we're going to beat you up because you don't think like we think. We love ourselves. We don't love you. There was this poor Asian journalist. Did you hear about this guy? Andy No. Brain 
hemorrhage, beaten to a pulp by Antifa in Portland, Oregon. Police did nothing. Nothing. They claim that they're the ones who are going to trump hate with love when they, in fact, themselves are the haters. That's how the devil works. Whoever he is, whatever he does, he points the finger at the other person and says, you're the hater, you're the bigot, you're the homophobe, you're the Islamophobe, blah, 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 blah. But I'll tell you a million times and I'll tell you again, God is pro-life, Satan is pro-death. And you know what? If you don't go along with us, we're going to kill you. Because we're out for love. Like Marion Williamson. Woo! We're going to get you with love. I don't know how anybody could stay sane in this world without Jesus. Because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold. We might think the greatest challenge in the world today is to evangelize, to get the gospel out, whatever it might be, help the homeless, blah, 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 blah. The greatest challenge, folks, is to love one another and keep on loving. Amen. That's what we have to do. If we do that, everything else will work. It's the fulfillment of the law. And we need to get better at it, don't we? I really think we do, every one of us. We need to get better at it. Verse 8. See, again, John is the apostle of love, but he's black and white, cut and dried, because tiptoeing around the tulips doesn't do anybody any good. He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. It's that simple. Whoever does not agape does not know Abba Father. Last time we led worship, we did that song, Abba Father. It was pretty fun. But we would do well, folks, to make learning to walk in love. It is a, it's a process. It's not instantaneous. I talked about how some people being instantaneous delivered from drugs, alcohol, sexual addictions, and so forth. But love is the fruit of the Spirit. When you first plant the fruit tree, is there any fruit on it? No. And a lot of times there's no fruit till what, the second or third year maybe? It takes time. You've got to water it. You've got to prune it. You've got to feed it. And then eventually the little fruits begin to show up. It's so exciting. And they don't come out all big, do they? They start small and they grow. Love is the fruit of the Spirit. But again, if we don't nurture it, part of the way we nurture it is by doing what we're doing here today. Worshiping together, studying the Word of God together, interacting with one another. And that's why there's such a lack of agape love in the church today. Because people are not taking their walk with God seriously. They go to a church, Bible study, home fellowship group once in a while, whenever they feel like it. And maybe they, today they feel like McDonald's and next week they feel like Burger King. And that's the way they treat church. What's the flavor of the month? Where's the exciting stuff going on? Who's got the latest hoopla? There's no consistency. There's no dedication. There's no commitment. And if you don't have those things, you're not going to grow any fruit. Love is fruit. Love is not a gift. When God gives you the gifts of His Holy Spirit, those are just imparted by Him. The different gifts of the Spirit, you know, uh, faith and, and uh, 
prophecy and word of knowledge and all these different gifts of the Spirit. Those are just given by God. They're gifts. They're called charismas, outpourings of God's grace. He gives them to you so that you can help others and minister to others. And if you don't help anybody or minister to anybody, the gifts are useless. And you probably won't ever even know what they are because you don't find out what they are until you step out in faith and start doing something. How did I find out that I was called to be a pastor? I stepped out in faith. I started as a young musical evangelist, going out, singing, preaching the gospel. And I just kept doing what God led me to do. And then one, sooner or later, I found out, wow, okay, that part of my life is over, and now God's moving me into a pastoral role. But it started with me just getting out there and doing it. If you want to find out what your spiritual gifts are, start ministering, start serving, start helping people, and see what God blesses the most. How would you know if you have the gift of evangelism if you don't ever witness to anybody? But even if nobody ever gets saved, all believers are called to share our faith. But what if you're like a Billy Graham or a Greg Laurie or somebody like that, and you find out, wow, more often than not, when I witness to somebody, they get saved. Maybe I have the gift of evangelism. You won't ever know unless you try. It's that way with all the gifts. But love is the fruit of the Spirit. It only grows in the proper soil, the proper conditions, with proper nurture, watering, feeding. Most people just aren't taking their faith that seriously, and therefore they never manifest the fruit of the Spirit. They never manifest agape love, and therefore the world looks on and they don't see God. Whoever does lo not love does not know God. 1 Peter 4.8. I've quoted this one many times too. Above all things, have fervent, intense love for one another. For love will cover over a multitude of sins. Why do people often get offended? Because they just don't love that much. That's why. If you're really loving like Jesus loves, you wouldn't get offended by every little mistake that someone makes. Love covers over the multitude of sins. Romans 13, 8. Owe no one anything except to love one another. For he who loves another has fulfilled the law. There it is again, the fulfillment. Oh man, you got to go to church on Saturday. That's the real Sabbath. If you go to church on Sunday, man, you're going to hell. That's ridiculous. He who loves another has fulfilled the law. Christ paid the debt for our sins on the cross of Calvary, but as believers, we have an ongoing debt. See, one definition of forgiveness is paying another person's debt. One, a debt that they could never be able to pay on their own. You and I could never have paid the debt for our sins. The wages of sin is what? Death. Jesus paid our debt. Jesus paid it all. We sang that song this morning. And now, Paul is telling us that we have an ongoing debt or obligation to love one another. We owe it to one another.
Have you ever owed somebody some money and you had not paid it back and you were kind of embarrassed and yet at the same time you weren't that excited about having to pay it back? Right? I'd rather go out to eat. <laughs> go to a movie. So whenever that person's in the vicinity, you avoid them, right? Because you know you haven't paid them back and you either can't or you don't want to. I think that's how a lot of people are with God or with their brothers and sisters in Christ. You know you owe him or her the debt of love. But for whatever reason, you're not willing to pay that debt, so you avoid them. Are you following me here? Remember, love, agape, unconditional love, principled love, is not a feeling. Feelings are great. Feelings come and go. Sometimes feelings are bad. The heart is deceitfully wicked, it says in the book of Jeremiah. Above all things, well, I'm just following my heart. Don't, what are you doing that for? <laughs> now, if your heart belongs to God, if He has come into your heart and transformed you, given you a heart of flesh rather than a heart of stone, if you're filled with the Spirit of God and God's heart is in you, well then... You know, there's some validity to following your heart. But oftentimes when we say, I'm following our heart, what we really mean is we're following our own. There's a way which seems right unto a man, right? But the end thereof are the ways of death and destruction. Love, agape, is not a feeling. It's a commitment. It's a sacrifice. That's the title of the message. Love is a sacrifice. And that's where a lot of people get hung up. 1 John 3.18, we covered this several weeks ago. My little children, let us not love in word or in tongue, but in deed or actions and in truth. Whoever does not love does not know God, for God is love. At his very core, God is love. Love is the very essence of his nature. The problem is oftentimes we try to define and discern love from our own human perspective. We are flawed. We are imperfect. We are sinners. And hopefully sinners saved by grace. And it's just like so many people today are judging past people groups, societies, cultures, our founding fathers, for example. People are judging them by the standards that we have set in 2019. No one alive today can possibly hope to know and understand the heart or mind of a person who lived 300 years ago. And so because now we're trying to understand them and interpret their actions and attitudes based upon the methodologies and ideologies of 2019, we see now, I don't know if you heard about this, there's a school in San Francisco. They have a giant mural with George Washington. And there's a number of, there's some Native Americans. There's some, I believe, slaves from the slavery period. There's this giant mural. And it's, it's just telling a story about history. George Washington, by the way, um, I don't know if any of you watch Waters World, Jesse Waters, Fox News. He likes to go out on the street and do these interviews primarily with young people. Give you an example of what our young people today know about our country. 
he asked one guy, so in what year did we declare our independence? The guy says, uh, 1984? I'm serious. And then you uh, ask them uh, who certain historical figures are. They have no idea. Um, who was the first president? Um, Abraham Lincoln? No, that was about 100 years later. Folks, <laughs> there's a systematic effort going on to destroy everything good about our country. The foundations. The foundations. And there's always parallels between the civil or you know, secular world and the Christian world, the spiritual world. If we are from God and God lives in us, we have His DNA. If we know Him, then we cannot help but love God and our fellow man. But you see, folks, as we close, let me make a point here. Every human being possesses physical qualities and characteristics as well as certain talents, inclinations, and abilities that are passed on to them genetically by their biological parents. We uh, are talking about the grandkids again. We look at the pictures and go, wow, he just looks, like, looks just like his brother, Preston. You know, wow, he looks like his dad. You look at the, you know, wow. It, these things are handed down genetically in our DNA. I've never been really good in the, uh, you know, building thing department, that kind of stuff, uh, crafts and so forth. I'm just a guitar player and a preacher. My grandson, Aiden, who's here with us today, he amazes me some of the things he can do. He got it from his dad, who's also very artistic, a good artist, a good craftsman and so forth. And now it, it's coming out in him. It was handed down. It's in his DNA. And by the way, the same thing is true with us as God's kids. If we are born again, if God lives in us, if we know him and he knows us, then that agape love is in our DNA. And so it's our responsibility to cultivate it, develop it, not suppress it. And that's the enemy's goal, by the way. In the last days, Jesus said, because of the increase of wickedness, lawlessness, every man doing that which is right in his own eyes, the love of most would grow cold. We cannot afford to let that happen to us. We have to keep that fervent, effectual, intense love for God and for one another if we are to endure in these last days. Let's stand. Let's pray. Father God, we ask for your help. We thank you for the gifts of the Spirit that you've given us. We thank you for the natural talents and abilities and inclinations that we have received genetically in our DNA handed down by our ancestors, our parents, our grandparents, and so forth. We're thankful for all those things. But Lord, we recognize that our highest calling in Christ is to agape one another, to love you with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love one another as well. And Lord, we recognize here this morning that you don't just wave a magic wand over us and all of a sudden we're just full of agape. It is fruit. It's the fruit of the Spirit. Lord, we have to cultivate it. Lord, by doing the right things, by making the right choices, by spending time with the right people in the right places, 
Lord, we know the enemy's strategy is to do everything he can to suppress that agape love within us, to cause the fruit to die on the vine, to freeze it out before it can even begin to develop. And you warned us, Lord Jesus, that in the last days, because of the increase of wickedness and lawlessness, the love of most would grow cold. So help us, Lord, to be overcomers, to not be overtaken by this wickedness, this lawlessness, this coldness, the frozen hearts of so many people, the hearts of stone. Lord, let us not be among that group, a part of that group. Lord, keep our hearts soft, tender. Lord, but help us to do the right things that we need to do to cultivate that fruit, to nurture it, to water it, to feed it through prayer, through the study of your word, meditation upon your word, Christian fellowship, Christian service. All these things, Lord, the apostles' doctrine, the fellowship of the saints, the breaking of bread and prayer. Lord, help us to be actively involved and engaged in these things. Forgive us for letting other things get in the way. Other activities, Lord, that have no eternal meaning or purpose or consequence. And yet so often they get in the way of our time with you and our time with one another. Help us to overcome these things, Father, and to be those who would be filled with agape love that people would look at us and that they would know we know you. And because they see you in us, they would want to know you too. Thank you, God, for your love, your grace, your mercy, your faithfulness, that you never leave us or forsake us. Lord, just pour out your Spirit upon us now as we sing our final worship song and as people come for prayer. Father, some may, may want to come and ask for prayer to be able to cultivate that agape love in their lives. Others may need to repent of some sins in their lives. Some may need healing, guidance, direction, whatever it is, Father, we know that you have everything we need. Bless the ministry time as we close now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.